Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. One, two, coming. Change up, line drive, base hit, and the Mets take the lead. Haggerty is in. Here comes Nimmo. It goes to the wall. Rosario will score. A three-run double for Rajay Davis. Big, big hit for the 38-year-old from Connecticut. And he breaks the ice in the eighth. It's 3-0 New York. Really, it wasn't, well, early it was, had some aggressive, real aggressive swings. I got two strikes. I was just trying to put the ball in play. Um, let the ball travel. Um, you know, get a, get a pitch I can handle and uh, try to put it in play. See what happens. You haven't gotten a lot of opportunities with this team. What does it mean to come up with that kind of hit in that kind of situation? I mean, it's huge. It means maybe I get more opportunities. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just happy that I can help us win um, today. That's probably a player and a highlight you never would have thought we'd be talking about here on September the 15th. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. Like I said, it's Sunday, September the 15th, 2019. You can check out the show all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G. And you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Don't forget to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, another edition here on this uh, Sunday, football Sunday, week two of the NFL. And here we are talking baseball, meaningful baseball in the world of the Mets. Uh, joining me in just a little bit, you'll hear a conversation I had with Keith Rad, play-by-play uh, broadcaster for the Brooklyn Cyclones. The Cyclones won the New York Penn League Championship earlier this week. Obviously, a very special affiliate in the world of the Mets to the point where not only did it get recognized, those players were invited back to City Field the day after they won 
the New York Penn League Championship. A couple of beloved former Mets, Edgardo Alfonso and Andy Chavez, were on that coaching staff. So we'll get a chance to not only talk about that season with Keith Rad and his thoughts on that team and what it means for Brooklyn, but also about a couple of top prospects, Brett Beatty, first-round pick this year, and Matthew Allen, the surprising third-round pick that really turned the whole draft around for the Mets where they changed their strategy and, in a lot of ways, uh, restocked the upper levels in some cases with some prognosticators of the top part of their farm system, a farm system that obviously has been used to uh, fund, for lack of a better word, this uh, roster in uh, 2019. So we'll hear from Keith Rad in just a little bit. Uh, and, a, and a little later, there was an article at 538 about minor league baseball. I thought it tied in really well with uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones segment, and I'll get into it. Travis Sochik, uh, who wrote a book, The MVP Machine, wrote it. Travis won't be on the program today. I am trying to get uh, Travis or Ben Lindbergh on the program. Had an opportunity earlier this summer when their book came out through uh, the agency I deal with. But um, timing wasn't great, and uh, be that as it may, schedules haven't worked out. So I'll see if I can get him on. But a very interesting uh, piece at 538. Do we even need minor league baseball? is the headline, and I think there's a lot to dissect in there. So um, we'll be talking about that. And then Pete Alonzo, again showing some important leadership skills with his response to MLB's handling of the 9-11 tragedy and the commemorating those tragedies. Is that the right way to put it? Well, commemorating the memories of those who were impacted by those tragedies is probably the best way to put it. Uh, I thought he handled himself extremely well in an environment where there's so many instances where celebrities and athletes try to use, I think, things like 9-11 to create look-at-me moments. There's enough look-at-me moments in today's world with social media that I think Pete did the right thing. And yeah, did he get recognized after? Sure. But I think that was just the residual effect of good reporting by those covering the team. So we'll get into that in just a little bit. But what I, I want to introduce before we get to Keith Rad, who is the headline guest of the show this week, I, I think what came to mind after that win last night, uh, a great win by the Mets, a great ball game, a postseason atmosphere, getting to see the two guys who may square off for the award of Cy Young in November go head-to-head, DeGrom pitching out of a couple of jams, Ryu, really just mowing the Mets down throughout the night, look vintage. I know that both he and Kershaw were struggling coming into this series, and you would hope that maybe those struggles would continue, but whatever the, maybe it was just numbers regressing to the mean, maybe it was mechanics, maybe it was just uh, they're getting their second win, whatever it is, those two guys, Kershaw and Ryu, if that's how they're going to pitch in the postseason, the Dodgers are going to have a chance to go back to the World Series again didn't realize how many division titles the Dodgers have won seven in a row. I mean, to me, right now in the National League, that's the gold standard. Right now in baseball, I know that the the Astros have won a World Series, and they're used a lot like the gold standard of how to rebuild and you know how to, what to be. But in a lot of ways, I think the Dodgers have used both the principles that you would want in terms of replenishing your farm system, spending money for the most part, spending it well, and creating some kind of sustainable winning. Now, that division isn't great. I think that helps a little bit. Right now, the Giants are in a downturn. Arizona may be swinging back up. And then you have uh, Colorado. That It's always hard for that franchise because of where they play to have any kind of sustainable winning. Pitching is all what it's about. And if you can't, even if you develop pitching, if the environment doesn't lend itself to good pitching, what are you going to do there? That's always been the question. But for the Mets to play the gold standard and... You know, not play well on Friday, but come back here against a very tough pitcher in Ryu and get a big hit late. And then the bullpen between Lugo and Wilson doing their job against a really tough lineup. A lineup that, I think, in the postseason, one of the things that they can do, and you saw it, DeGrom actually had, I think, the most ground ball outs that he's had all season in that game. Um, 
I think he probably knew that they're a lineup that if you try to strike them out, they're going to work you and they're going to try to get you out of the game. And if you remember in L.A. during the West Coast trip back in May, that's exactly what they did to DeGrom after five innings. They got him out, and then the Mets bullpen came in, and, and, and away you go. You knew what happened there. So he was able to navigate, get you to the winning formula for the Mets, seven innings. And now the Mets have the, the game tonight. So we come to you before the Sunday night baseball game. They have the six-game road trip to Colorado and Cincinnati. Then they wrap it up with Miami and Atlanta. 14 games. If the Mets win tonight and they win, whatever the series is, whether it's a four-game series like they have against Miami or the others, which are three-game series, if they win each of those series, they'll win 87 games. And I think they put themselves in a conversation to potentially be the second wild card. Not a guarantee. I told you weeks ago that the magic number was 90. That was the number they needed to guarantee getting in. Uh, I still believe that anybody, whether it be Milwaukee, Chicago, I think uh, Nationals will get there. Any team that gets to 90 is guaranteed. North of that, you're in. And uh, I don't know if the Mets could do it because really right now they'd have to win 13 out of 14, and that's asking a lot. And you're going to Colorado, a tough place to play, and Cincinnati, which is a plucky team. And Miami's been playing plucky even though they lose. And, and you know, I think the Dodgers... I think there's been a little bit in this series where they know that if the Mets get into the tournament, and you saw that with this uh, this series, if the Mets get into the tournament, that they're going to be a, a tough out. They're not going to be an easy five-game set for anybody in the division series. So, and then the Braves, look, the Braves are going to be tuning up for the postseason, but they themselves might look at the Mets and say, do I want to play those guys in the playoffs and, and, and try to... I think winning... I don't like teams cruising into the playoffs, you, you know, and that was one of the things that bothered me a little bit about Terry Collins after they had clinched the match. Yeah, you get the day off the day after, but I felt he was doing a lot of spring training type of managing that week after, and it bothered me because it, it cost them home field, and then I think you get into a situation where all those good habits, all that winning that led up to you winning your division or clinching a postseason spot, you start to get away from it. It's like... The real sprint starts, and all the working out and all the stuff you've done, you're going to take a break for a week and eat hamburgers. Well, no, you you, you got more work to do. So that you might see that from the, both teams like the Dodgers and the Braves and what have you. But most importantly, I think over the final 14 games, I think the lesson be learned here is again, and, and I keep saying this, and it's a theme all year, there are owners across baseball, and if you look at the American League, it's a disgrace what goes on at the bottom of that league. If you can't put together a team with a reasonable amount of payroll and a reasonable amount of development while you're trying to win, that could win between 85 and 90 games. It doesn't take a lot these days. You really got to look at your general manager. If you're an owner, you got to look at your general manager in the mirror and say, what? Things could happen. Injuries, freakish things, bad bullpens could undo even the best of teams. We saw that with Washington at times this year and the Mets. But there is no excuse if I'm an owner, unless I'm part of the problem, which is... Wanting to save money and sell a dream that may not happen. Where if my owner says, I want to be the Astros. Well, great. You can be the Astros. Do you have to tank? We have a great television contract. We have a great market. We have to market to these these fans. Uh, Not only the current fans, the future fans. There's no excuse why you can't do that. Because you get moments like you had last night. Where Mets fans, you know, if the Mets make the playoffs or not. But down the road, maybe this fan base is different. You remember the Rajay Davis play. Those are the kind of players that you never would have thought you'd be talking about at any point this season. And if you were, you think that things were disastrous. But every year we do this podcast, every year we look at this team, and every year we break things down. The guys that wind up stepping up, that's why I don't do predictions. That's why I don't even read predictions anymore. Because you can't predict a lot of this stuff. Nobody could predict that Rajay Davis would have been the guy that would have gotten the big hit last night in the midst of a wild card race six months ago or three weeks ago or even six weeks ago. So enjoy it. There's a lot of baseball left. This team has been fun. Don't let the naysayers and the Rosenthal's and the onlys and the guys who cover the team that the only interest they have in this team is when something like the Syndergaard-Ramos situation happens. And I'm not going to get back into that. I did a podcast midweek about that. My feelings, especially after Friday night, have not changed. So that's what this is about. It's about the entertainment. And we'll get into that a little bit with Keith Rad and the Cyclones and, and what that team means to the 
the borough of Brooklyn. And we'll get later into that with this article at 538 by Travis Sochik about minor league baseball. But at the end, this is about entertainment, and you can be responsible and rebuild. You can continue to do good organizational principles and market your product and try to win. And you don't have to just do it with McDonald's Family Sundays or beanie hats or T-shirts or bobbleheads. Those are important today's day and age because you want to get those extra 10% to the ballpark. And there is a reason sometimes on a blah, blah matchup on a weekend when maybe you have to do that. But that shouldn't be the only reason you get people to the ballpark, the team and the connection and the players that are going to be the guys that the future Greg Prince of Faith and Fear and Flushing. Uh, those are the guys that, you know, down the road that will be writing about Rajay Davis for some reason, 25, 30 years down when nobody else would be thinking about him. Those hardcore fans that you want to continue to cultivate and develop so that you have some kind of history and lineage. And it's not just about the David Wrights and the Pete Alonzos and, and the great players that make up that lineage. It's about all the guys that came through that shared some kind of memory, whether it be fast and fleeting or maybe for a short period of time or maybe a little bit longer than that. It's about that. And that's what makes this fun. That's why I do this. That's why you listen to this. And last night and the and the last couple of games, these kind of games, this is what this is all about. This is what we talk about all off season. We don't talk about prospect lists because that's what this is, what show is about. We talk about it because you want to get to the point where those prospects lead to what we saw. You don't talk about free agency and trades and hot stove and spring training because that's what the show's about. That's what we're talking about that because that's what's leading up to the feeling and what we want to see tonight with Walker Bueller and Zach Wheeler facing off on a Sunday night nationally televised game, uh, hopefully to a packed house. Sunday nights I know are tough on a school situation, but you know that's what we do this for, and and I think we got to remember that, and that's my message to you guys as we kick off this Sunday, September the 15th podcast. So let's take a quick break. When we return, Keith Rad, play-by-play announcer, Brooklyn Cyclones will be joining me. We'll talk about the Brooklyn Cyclones winning the New York Penn League. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Fans will never forget the sight of Jackie Robinson hurrying for the plate. Elston Howard sends a grounder to Pee Wee Reese. And these Dodgers at last are world champions. Delirious with joy, teammates and fans mob the Brooklyn pitcher in wild acclaim. In the dot- Brooklyn by one, the pitch. Struck him out swinging. Brooklyn, you have your title. The Brooklyn Cyclones are outright champions for the first time in history. 2019 New York Penn League champions. Brooklyn 4, Lowell 3, Coney Island going crazy. And you just heard the call. Brooklyn, you have your title. Uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones win the uh, New York Penn League uh, first title, really in their history because they had the co-title uh, in 2001. And uh, joining us now, the man who did that call, uh, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Cyclones, uh, Keith Rad. He also does Wagner Hoops and Wagner Football. Love his Twitter feed somewhere on the Bell Parkway. Keith, welcome to the program. You know what? Uh, one day when you're on ESPN or, or doing the Met games, uh, we'll remember that that call that everybody just heard. <laughs> it was uh, it was awesome, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Brooklyn is such a unique place. It's my second year with the Cyclones, and to to win a title there means a lot more than winning uh, some random minor league baseball title in some quiet city. So it was uh, certainly awesome to help bring it back to uh, to Brooklyn. I had recently had Rustin Dodd of The Athletic on the show, and we were talking about his piece about the Cyclones and how special it is uh, over there. And it's, it's it comes on the heels, you know, I know it was a small crowd. And if that game was held during uh, August, it would have been a packed house. But I, I'm thinking about the piece over at the 538 by uh, Travis Sochek, and he's talking about player development, and, and there's talk about condensing the minor leagues down, obviously for cost purposes, putting players in labs. And I get it. There's some validity to that argument. But I think the environment and what goes on in Brooklyn, even though you probably may see one or two of the guys on that roster ever do anything, uh, it makes you rethink some of that thought process about minor league baseball. There is some value 
even to those guys that may never see any anywhere past the Brooklyn Cyclones. Yeah, I mean, it's the guys talk about it, especially the guys that are not from New York and have basically no idea what pro ball is because we get the draft guys mostly who, you know, they just find out, hey, I'm, I'm now a Mets fan. I'm, I have to be a Mets fan. So you, you get shipped off to Brooklyn and and you now, you now you're taking swings. The batter's eye is tough to see with all the billboards and you're fighting through the screams and the shrills of folks on the Thunderbolt roller coasters spinning and, and uh, doing their loops for all nine innings. And the, the guy on the bumper car is over in Luna Park. You hear him screaming. So you have that, and then you have, you know, sometimes up to six, 7,000 people a night that uh, that we have nightly. So it's it's a great place to play, and it takes a little bit of time for the guys to get used to the ambiance. But once they're in it, they can't wait to tell, you know, the next wave of people coming through, hey, this is certainly the best place to play in the New York Penn League, let alone, you know, anywhere in the country for your first taste of baseball. And uh, it's certainly awesome because I know the Mets, um, they love having us. They want these guys to get a taste of what it's like to be in a big market. We had Brett Beatty, the, the number one pick for the Mets this year, 12th overall pick, first rounder, third rounder, Matthew Allen, so they wanted to get them thrown into the fire. They were big parts of uh, Cyclones winning the title, and now they they get used to having cameras and media thrown in their face because of that. And I think that's what the Mets want with the, with the Brooklyn Cyclones and thousands of people screaming every single night, so it's awesome. I couldn't agree more. Keith Rad, play-by-play broadcaster for the Brooklyn Cyclones. Uh, I think you described the experience at the ballpark, MCU Park, perfectly. Not an easy place to hit. I think that's one of the things that a, a lot of people – don't realize um i don't know if it's because of where it is off the water the wind but i've seen many balls die out there so even though you're a, you're a big shot hitter uh it's a, it's a tough place to hit because uh, a lot of the things you talk about being right off the beach very unique it's not in the middle of a cornfield in in midwest or uh or there's not a train going by uh, through the midwest uh like in those sleepy towns you see on on those movies like bull Durham. yeah absolutely i remember last year we had Carlos Cortez, a big second baseman. He was with St. Lucie this year in high A, but last year he comes in, big lefty, wants to be a power bat. That's his game. And then wants to show off, you know, as most guys do in the first year of pro ball. And it's just like lefties go to die with that wind blowing in off the water. So it's certainly a unique place to play. And I, I think back to the, the championship game on, on Tuesday night where the big guy from Lowell comes up and he, Joe Davis, he hits a mile high shot down a left field line and, if the wind wasn't blowing in from the water, probably would have went over and and uh, it it didn't go out, so it turned into an out. So if the wind, it hurts and it helps uh, at some at some junctures of the game. So it's it's cool. Keith Rad, play by play broadcaster for the Brooklyn Cyclones, joining us here. Cyclones are champions in 2019. Uh, first championship just for themselves. They were co-champs in 2001. And ironically, so Edgar Alfonso, well, well uh, Edgardo is playing for the Mets in 2001, coming off a pennant-winning season. His brother's co-champs, ironically, the reason they were co-champs is because of the tragedy on 9-11. And now Edgardo, uh, all these years later, takes the team his first year. They finish uh, with 52 losses. They make it to fifth place the second year. And now this year he brings them a championship. Talk about Edgardo. Mets fans love him. Uh, I think he, he was actually at the ballpark uh, uh, earlier in the week. Uh, well, who, give us an idea of Edgardo Alfonso, the manager, because we know who he was as a player, very heady player, uh, big part of that 2000 team. But we don't know him as a manager because uh, I don't think we've seen him around these parts in a long, long time. Yeah, Edgardo is one of uh, one of the nicer guys you'll ever run into. And there's I'm so happy that all the videos are pouring in from Mets Farm Report doing some great inside looks at the Cyclones winning it and, you know, champagne showers in the clubhouse and you see Fonzie with his with his big smile he is uh one of the best guys to to go to work for every day for for these players and he he treats you like a big leaguer you know he's he's hands off at certain points and he'll step in and and tell you what you need to do during during the game when he feels like it's time um as a as a manager he's very aggressive you'll see guys breaking for second breaking for third and big junctures of the game so he he likes to create offense, create some some runs, manufacture them from time to time. But he's such a great influence for, you know, we get these pro play, uh, college players that come in, the the American players that come in, and they have certainly grown up watching Fonzie play. And then the Latin guys who come in, especially from Venezuela, which is where Agarda was from, they look up to him and they absolutely adore him. So it, it's 
of course, as a manager, it's certainly a hands-off venture. You know, you're not calling plays like you're in football or basketball like that. So you just have to set an example and be a role model. And that's the biggest thing. He carries himself like a professional and he comes in, hey, I'm, I'm Edgardo Alfonso. Of course, he doesn't say that, but <laughs> that's the presence and the ambiance that he provides. And the players just absolutely feed off of it. And for a lot of these guys, their first year in professional baseball, they get to say, hey, I had one of the best second baseman hitters in Mets history as my guy. And, and he loves to teach. He loves the game, can't get enough of it, and loves New York, which is why he likes to stick around Brooklyn. So I'm uh, I'm very happy for him. And that first year that you talked about where they had 52 losses in uh, 2017, <laughs> I was it was brutal. And he'll talk. He'll tell you it was brutal. And uh, last year, Cyclones missed playoffs by a half game, so they got so close. And then this year to get over the hump, uh, it's so ecstatic. And he's ribbing, uh, he's ribbing Edgar, his brother. <laughs> he says, I got, I got you. We're, we're outright champs. I know, of course, 9-11, they, they couldn't play the games, but uh, there's always a great, fun, brotherly uh, rivalry between Edgardo and Edgar. And like you said, it's pretty amazing that, you know, you have two brothers in the same organization and, and uh, both you know, champions in their own right. So we love Fonzie. And in fact, they're both, they're both named Fonzie when they come through town. And right now, Edgardo is the, uh, the number one Alfonso in, uh, in Brooklyn. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Andy Chavez, another beloved Met, not quite as illustrious on the field, but has a, a memorable moment and was a really good component player for a couple of years on those 06, 07, 08 teams. Uh, talk about Andy for a couple of minutes here. Cause uh, you know, he was a big part of that team too, as a coach and, obviously getting a lot of attention up here uh, because of his, uh, his name. Yeah. He just got finished playing and Andy, you, you look at him. I mean, he, the dude is still sculpted, man. He'll go out there and play nine for you tomorrow. If you have to, he's still in, in great shape. And, and that's the kind of voice that you need to uh, great balance. Edgardo is certainly revered is a bit of the, the older manager, not that Fonzie is an old guy by any means, but you have, you know, the elder statesman in one corner of the dugout and Andy, the young guy just finished playing, right off his shoulder and Andy loves Fonzie. Those guys are absolute boys. They are you know, shoulder to shoulder everywhere we go, every town we go to grabbing a bite to eat or just talking shop. And, and Andy, he's great. I mean, he knows that uh, he made the catch and we were at city field. Like you mentioned, the Cyclones were celebrated at city field on Wednesday night against the Diamondbacks. And we were on the field before the game and everybody from the Mets coaches to the, even Arizona guys were coming over and, and uh, shaking hands with Andy. They, they love him. He's got a great smile. And Andy said, around here, I'm not Andy Chavez. They call me the catch. <laughs> so he knows exactly you know, who he is. And you know, a lot of guys have their, their career defined by one moment and kind of brush it off. And Andy doesn't. He, he, he loves it. He, he loves uh, the fact that uh, he brings smiles to people's faces. And another guy that, you know, the, the Latin players coming through, they look up to Andy because it's a little bit different than Edgardo. Edgardo was certainly a staple with the Mets for years and finished up in San Francisco and then bounced around a little bit more. But Andy is a guy who is an absolute journeyman. You know, he played in so many different places. He had to be very versatile and continue to learn and be coached and adjust. So he's the perfect minor league coach because as he had to learn over those, you know, years and years of playing and, long bus rides and the minors to the, you know, the majors, of course, are taken care of, but Indy just came off of a couple of years in Indy ball where he was, you know, the hitting champion, the, the league champion at, in the Atlantic league for the Bridgeport Bluefish, and, you know, playing until he's 39. So he can, he can coach these guys basically through every issue that they have, because he is, you know, that different dynamic of Fonzie where he's had to fight for every single job and every night that he gets to play. But both guys, it's their presence. It's their smiles. It's the, it's the music. They're getting me into salsa and merengue and all that stuff over there. <laughs> the speakers, the speakers are always blasting. So uh, yeah, what fun. a tandem, those two guys. Yeah, that's, that's fun. I mean, Keith Rad, uh, Brooklyn Cyclones play by play man joining us here and, and city field. You, the team was honored at city field. That's, that's different because, and it shows you how special this Brooklyn thing is to the Mets ownership when the, the B-Mets, they were the B-Mets at that point, won the title, I think in 2014, I think they recognized mm-hmm. some players, but they didn't bring the team there. That's a pretty cool thing for these guys, not just the big guys you mentioned, like Matthew Allen and guys like that. Matthew Allen, a star of that, that championship uh, finale. But for the whole organization, well, the whole Cyclones organization, 
Talk about your experience there. That must have been pretty cool before the game and, and obviously getting a lot of attention while the Mets are in the midst of uh, their own little race. Yeah, that was – that was yeah. Wednesday was probably the best day of the year for the guys outside, of course, winning the championship. You know, they show up. They get they get star treatment. We Cyclones were down on the field. They got to watch batting practice, and, you know, they're all in a corner and watching, and here comes Robbie Cano to high-five them and Brandon Nimmo and, you know, all these coaches, guys coming over and congratulations and clapping and – Cyclones are there with the trophy, posing for photos. The Mets really did an amazing job to treat this team like Kings. And, and in fact, when, when the Cyclones were done, they went in the clubhouse, met with Pete Alonso and Angel Manzanares, one of our infielders, was playing ping pong with Luis Guillorme, and everyone was having a, a good time. You go up to the suite, and uh, Brody and, and Fred Wilpon come in, and they, they gave a speech and just said thank you and congratulations. So it was, it was such a nice touch and such a classy move by the Mets. I know Fred absolutely loves the Brooklyn Cyclones. It's his baby. He he's a Brooklynite. He'll tell you that. And um, it was awesome for the guys. They uh, I know that the next day they had flights that to be at the airport and five and six a.m. to get home. But they were they were loving being at City Field all night. And and you could tell in their eyes, a lot of these guys are still so young. And you know, it'll, a couple guys may shoot all the way up to the big leagues, but they're looking at City Field and those you know tiers of seats and stands and all the the sizes of these players and it's like whoa man this is this could be a long way away but it's certainly a great taste of the the goal that is to come and again the, everyone was all smiles yesterday they played the highlights on the scoreboard and a couple guys got to have their you know their faces on the scoreboard and they showed the trophy and big round of applause and ovation so unbelievable move by the Mets and uh, really awesome to have Chris Brody come in and Fred come in and say a couple of words so it was great Every championship season has uh, obviously highlights. You had the call. We just mentioned the final game. Give the listeners who probably may not have seen any games or maybe went to a game here or there and maybe following players, but they may not be following the team. What are some of your non-final out championship highlights, one or two that stand out to you when you look back, when you're a big-time broadcaster 30 years from now, when you remember this season? What, what's going <laughs> to come to your mind, uh, Keeks? Uh, a couple of great, great moments. You know, a lot of these guys, uh, like you said, they'll they'll look back and they'll remember them. I know Luke Riddle, who was second baseman for this team this year, a guy out of Wichita State uh, from from the state of Kansas. He has this this five for five night against the Lowell Spinners, which is the team that you know Cyclones ended up beating in the finals. But this is you know, middle of the year. Luke's five for five. He comes up in the bottom of the ninth inning and hits a, a game tying home run off the light post. It's it's like the natural, but, you know, he didn't hit it that high, but <laughs> he hits it off the light post, you know, he ties the game up. And then later on in the game, they intentionally walk somebody to get to Luke for some crazy reason. And Luke hits the walk-off blue face hit to win the, win the game. And he goes five for five and unbelievable game there. Uh, another one that comes to mind was in Aberdeen, which is the Baltimore affiliate right off I-95, the Ripken Stadium. I think the Cyclones played three extra inning games in a row to sweep the series. Bases were juiced, uh, one out. I think the Cyclones had a one-run lead, so fly ball goes into center field, and Ron Fiedon, one of the, the young Dominican players who is awesome to watch, comes over, makes the catch. The guy, that's the second out. The guy tags up and comes home, and Ron Fee throws him out to end the game. It was a kind of a walk-off to play at the plate to win the game, so uh, – those are two ones that certainly come to mind for this team. But, you know, the, the end of the season, they win these games, but it took so many amazing moments earlier in the year to, to get there. So there are certainly some, some good times this year. You had a chance to see a couple of the Mets' new additions. Uh, this draft was Brody Van Wagenen's first draft, and two of the guys, uh, Brett Beatty, made a little cameo. And obviously Matthew Allen had the outstanding performance in the championship game. Anything you could share with the fans about these two very young players, but a lot of optimism surrounding them, especially Allen, who uh, has been very impressive and a small sample size since he was drafted in June. Yeah. I mean, just a quick snippet, Allen, he throws, you know, eight innings in the GCL and usually a high school guy, they, they put him in the GCL, they shut him down and they, they bring him back next year, but they shoot him up to Brooklyn. He has a lot of people said he kind of looks like a young Matt Harvey, which, on the stuff side is, is amazing. He's got kind of that, that young Harvey looking face and 
he comes in the other night, like you said, and he throws. He's supposed to throw two innings. You know, high school guy, keep him, keep him on a limit. He throws two perfect innings. Okay, Allen's done, and then they send him out there for another inning, and everyone was like, kind of gasping. Oh my goodness, this is <laughs> this is the future. They're going to let him go out for another inning. You know, this is somewhat unheard of at this level. And he goes out and shoves for another inning, and um, you know he's throwing 96, and he's got a he's got a hammer at 80, and these guys can't touch it. Like I couldn't imagine. You know, he's just, you know, shoving in high school and he's, you know, shoving now in the pros. Um, he, he's got a really great makeup. There's one actually fun nugget about him that we found out coming to Brooklyn is that he comes from Seminole High School in Florida, which used to be called Sanford High School. And Red Barber graduated from Sanford High School, which is the same high school Matthew Allen did. And, of course, Red Barber, the great Brooklyn Dodgers broadcaster, from the catbird seat, which is what we call our broadcast booth at Brooklyn. So that was an awesome connection there with Matthew Allen, Red Barber in Brooklyn. So he's, he's a guy that's got great stuff. It'll take him a little while, but he's on the fast track, obviously jumping from the GCL to Brooklyn this year. And then Brett Beatty, the one thing that you'll notice about Beatty about it, it was an immediate difference is that his presence at the plate, he looks like he's been taking swings in the pros for you know, five, 10 years. with just, waiting for his pitch. It's, it's the, the weirdest thing. I mean, he's just got presence. He's not going to chase. He's, he's going to stand in there. Like he's seen great pitching for his whole, his whole life and great kid, good makeup, great smile. He's got bear claw hands. He's strong as a bull. Um, I remember his first big hit was his first game for us in Aberdeen. Bases are loaded. We're down two. he clears the bases with a double. And I got goosebumps on the call because I'm going, this guy is going to do this for the Mets one day. And he's starting here. And uh, it, was, it was great. So, like you said, Brody has his first draft. And, and Jared Banner and coming in from Boston and Allard Bear, those guys that came in from Boston that are now running the farm. Exquisite first draft. I mean, these guys are great. Anybody else that we should be keeping an eye on over the next few years uh, that potentially, in your opinion, your novice scouting opinion, uh, might be somebody that one day could uh, show up on a radar prospect report or uh, any, any time at City Field. Yeah, absolutely. The, the two guys that come to mind off the top of my head, Jake Magnum and Antoine Duplantis, they are two college seniors, but they, they finished in the SEC. Jake went to Mississippi State. Antoine went to LSU. They finished one and two all time in hits. So even though these guys are senior draft picks and may not be as quote-unquote valuable as a junior draft pick, they have had a the compete factor, the one that sabermetricians and analysts hate. Oh, give us the numbers. Give us the stuff on paper. You throw that out the window with these guys. They can flat out hit, and they both play the outfield. Jake is a sensational center fielder. We have the longest outfield in New York City at MCU Park, further than City Field and further than, than Yankee Stadium to dead center, 412 feet. And Jake's making you know, Willie Mays catches – you know, running 100, 150 feet to track fly balls down. And Antoine, a lefty hitter, really small, really, really thin, but he'll grow and he'll, he'll hit. He's out of LSU. I just, you, you find those guys and they, they tore up the SEC for four years for a reason. They'll learn, they'll get better, they'll get stronger. And I think those are two guys, Mangum and Duplantis, that probably show you some stuff in the future. Hey, before I let you go, I mean, one of the other cool things about covering the Cyclones like you do is that because of its proximity to City Field, you'll get a lot of the rehab assignments, even if it's for a game or two. I mean, Jed Lowry helps them. I mean, he should get a ring. He helped them win uh, the title <laughs> there. But you saw uh, Noah Syndergaard, Sam Haggerty, who just got called up, Jerry's Familia, Robbie Cano. Uh, I'm trying to think of anybody else I'm missing here. But you got a chance to see the point is a number of the guys on the roster uh, come through. Anything fun uh, stand out to you with that? That must be cool, even though they're – they're just getting work in, and they're they're jumping in and jumping out. It is nice to to see some of the big leagues come make its way through. Yeah, that's that's the best part about playing in New York and playing for a Mets affiliate. They they love us, so they'll they'll take care of us and give us some some studs. I, I on a personal note, I know that these guys, the, the the world of rehabbers, when the big leaguers come down, you know that night you're gonna eat because <laughs> they're gonna take yeah. care of the the post game sure. spread. So. I know Robbie Cano played with the Cyclones for two games. The first night, they kind of kept it simple with Chipotle, but he brings in, there were cases of Cinnabons, which was just awesome. And then the, his final night, I think he got, 
Outback Steakhouse for the guys, which in the minor leagues is a big deal because usually you're, sure. you know, you're, eat, you're eating a paper towel sandwich for dinner, some kind of thing sometimes. So that was great off the field, but just their presence on the field. I mean, you've got even, even Brett Beatty. I remember watching him, you know, he's first rounder and, and so, so coveted for the Mets, but he's watching these guys and he's, he's commenting, wow, he's, he's doing this. So Jed Lowry swings like this, his approaches, you know, his, he's watching his mechanics and his swing. Just these guys walking around makes such an impact on the minor league guys. How does Robbie Cano handle himself? How does Jed Lowry handle himself? Some for the pitchers we had, like you said, Syndergaard, we had Justin Wilson, you know, what do they do? What are their pregame routines like? And what are they like as people? Because sometimes you get big leaguers that, you know, they don't want to talk to you. They come in and they leave, but these guys sat down and they had conversations. They ate with the players. They were in there. They were hanging out, talking, answering questions. So when we get rehabbers, it's, it's awesome because like I said, the guys get to, to eat a great meal every once in a while and to, to see the big guys like Robbie Cano come down was awesome. So for you, uh, you could you could check out Keith at KeithRad.com, R-A-A-D, at KeithRad on Twitter. Easy enough. Uh, if you're a Wagner fan or you want to check out Wagner Sports, I'm assuming that's what your uh, your your near future holds. Uh, I'm wondering, will we see you in Brooklyn next year? I mean, give me what's going to be happening with Keith Rad over the next few months. And those who are listening who might be new to you, where they could obviously follow you, projects, things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll definitely be in Brooklyn. We have uh, what we've done with Facebook Live this year to be able to to make our broadcast basically free for the world to see. And we're using, you know, three, four camera setups and a big league production. I know the, the guys over the Cyclones have done well, so I am, I'm not going anywhere over there. It's, it's too sweet of a gig to, to ever pass up. And then, like you said, Wagner football. So I'll be doing Wagner Seahawks football. We're going to Stony Brook this weekend and uh, doing some, some women's and men's basketball over there as well at uh, on Grimes Hill over on Staten Island. So that's, that's what the winter is like, and then you close your eyes and wake up, and hopefully you're in spring training again down in Florida and back with some Cyclones baseball. Yeah, Stony Brook out by me, becoming uh, somewhat of a, a big-time uh, football and not a bad uh, basketball program, so some fun stuff. But uh, listen, you were generous with your time, Keith. I'm glad we had a chance to catch up. Really fun stuff uh, with the Cyclones. Fans love it. Let's keep in touch. Let's do it again. Uh, be well, and, and once again, thank you so much for your time. Mike, I got I got two tickets for you next year at MCU Park, so come on down, man. Thanks so much I'll, for having me. I'll be there. Just make sure you get me the hot dog. I heard the hot dog lines are brutal. Someone <laughs> told me they missed the action because those early season hot dog lines. Just make sure you get me a hot dog, and it's a date. All righty? <laughs> <laughs> it's a deal. Thanks, Mike. All right, Keith. Be well. Keith Rad uh, at Keith Rad on Twitter, and uh, KeithRad.com is the uh, is the uh, the uh, the website. Obviously, if you want to. Get Cyclones information. There's a new name. Follow him. And the Mets Farm Report, really good stuff on the Mets Farm Report, at Mets Farm Report. That's the official Mets Farm Report. Uh, Great videos. Check it out. And uh, listen, there's so much good content. We talk about negativity here from time to time. And I know I I get on the media's case, but there's still so much good content in comparison to what used to be. Uh, We're in such beautiful times when it comes to following your favorite team that uh, you have no excuse not to enjoy yourself if you, if, you, if you want to. And that's the truth. But I also think it was cool to hear Keith talk about how embracing the team was with the Cyclones visiting in the midst of a, of a pennant race and hearing about Luis Guillerme playing ping pong and, and them getting to meet Pete Alonso. We know how, like I said earlier, how great Pete Alonso has been. Uh, it's just great to hear that. It's, it's great. The Mets do a lot of good things. They don't do everything well, and they make a lot of mistakes. But they do a lot of good things, and I think the good things sometimes get underreported. And I'm glad that Keith was able to share some of that with us here today. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, more Talking Mets podcast right after this. I just saw the Dayton Dragons uh, about two years ago get sold for a record price, $40 million, which for a minor league baseball team is a new all-time high. And the price has been steadily increasing for minor league baseball teams, not to the extent of major league baseball teams, but still rising. Well, a guy who set a standard in terms of being part of an investor for a huge 
dollar amount was Peter Goober, now with the Dodgers, owns the Golden State Warriors. He used to be a minor league, or, or that's kind of how we got to start with minor league baseball teams, merging entertainment. Mm. Is that kind of the way that some owners get into it? Yeah, I think for him, it was a great testing ground. They get to show the major league owners exactly what they can do in terms of generating revenue, that they can operate a ball club. And for him, I mean, he through Mandalay owns several teams. And I think specifically with Goober, what he showed was beyond traditional ticket sales, he was able to drive other forms of entertainment through the stadiums and ballparks and able to increase revenue. And baseball loves that. Yeah, and it brings in different people at a lower cost. Uh, what are we looking at in terms of attendance and interest? Yeah, it's interesting. Minor league baseball teams typically get sold for between 60 and 65 times total annual attendance. They don't have, as you mentioned, out the big national TV deals that the major league teams do. And typically, the teams with the highest attendance are worth the most. There are exceptions, like our number one team, the Sacramento River Rats. Although they're high in attendance, they're not number one. But you know what? They have great demographics, a lot of money up there in Northern California. They get to charge more for tickets and concessions and things like that than the other teams. Is there a reason you went with River Rats instead of River Cats? But usually, most years I say River Cats, but you know, since I practiced it before, is. this time I got it right. Okay, all right. So let's talk about also the fact that we always talk about major league teams benefiting from new stadiums and luxury suites. Do minor league teams benefit the same? Yeah, usually there's been over 60 new ballparks built since 2000 in, for minor league baseball teams. And that's really a, a double good thing for them in the sense that, don't forget, they don't pay player costs. The major league affiliates pay that. So those incremental dollars from the new stadiums, whether it be premium seating, uh, better sponsorships and so forth, they get to pocket. All right, let's talk about the demographics of some of these teams and what they're looking for in terms of market size and then in terms of the kind of fans that they attract. And, you know, it used to be where it was considered you only want a team outside of a city where there was a major league baseball team. They're finding out that's not the case anymore. You're getting more minor league baseball teams not that far from their major league affiliates or other major league affiliates because they're finding it's different price points, different forms of entertainment. They're not really competing. A minor league baseball team is really competing more against the local movie theater. All right, we're back. Uh, great segment with Keith Rad, And I remember I was actually at that game where uh, the Cyclones, uh, I think, clinched the McNamara division. Or it was 2001, a few days before 9-11. I was at that ball game, and I remember that crowd. That was the first year of the Cyclones, how pumped that crowd was. I know it was a new thing, the Cyclones, going to a, a minor league game just locally. I mean, I lived in Brooklyn, so I, it was 10 minutes from my house. And then, of course, the tragedy happened, and the, the Cyclones were named co-champions, and the Cyclones never were able to win or get over the hump in all those playoff appearances since then, whether it be Tim Tuffle, Howard Johnson, or any of the other luminaries that have donned the Cyclones' managerial uniform. And they finally did it, and it's a big story. I know it's important to the Wilpons, this team. I know that times the Cyclones have been stacked with guys maybe who are a little bit more sophisticated in that level or advanced for that level to win. I don't agree with that, but I also know it's about development and why not develop and and promote your product, uh, something that could help build your brand in an important borough in the heart of, uh, of where your big league team is. So uh, good stuff there. I thought Keith did a nice job and gave us some really good analysis on Matthew Allen and Brett Beatty. Now, Going over to 538, Travis Sochek. Travis is a writer over 538, and he also wrote a co-wrote a book with Ben Lindbergh called The MVP Machine, which really, if you haven't read it, and I, I intend on reading it, I have it, I haven't read it yet, The MVP Machine, gets into a lot of what has become the alternative way of developing players with some of the methods with swing coaches and analytics and things like that, to a point where a lot of these guys are freelance, these coaches, and it's becoming somewhat of a cottage industry. Now, Sawcheck writes a really good piece here, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, because I think it gets your brain thinking. Because on one hand, he talks about how there's way too many affiliates in minor league baseball, and you can't support that financially. I think some of it is, if you're going to pay these minor league baseball players, having all these affiliates and all these players, you're just never going to give everybody a livable wage. Now, Mind you, anybody who gets into minor league baseball that doesn't get a bonus baby signing knows what they're getting into. There's no, there's nobody lying to you that it's a, it's a good 
career from a, a monetary standpoint. So let's get that out of the way. I think they're abused and abused, and I think it's disgraceful, some of the salaries. But the causation of that is people start to say, you know what, I might be a good baseball player. I might have got a college scholarship. I got drafted in the you know 30th round or the 40th round. It's a nice little medallion to have for your mantle, but I'm going to go get a real job. And I'm going to use the skills, if you use the college education appropriately, I'm going to go use the skills that I learned on the ball field and in the classroom to go get myself uh, a nice job. Nothing wrong with that, and I would not criticize anybody for doing that. Because for every Seth Lugo that comes, or you know, a late-round pick, you know, there's there's a lot of guys you never hear about. With that said, there's nothing wrong with reducing the amount of minor league affiliates down to a more manageable level. I, I was talking to a scout friend, and he said, you know, there's talk of them going from 40 rounds in the draft to 25, maybe raising minor league salaries, making it more manageable to scout and develop so that maybe the competition is a little better because, as it pointed out in this piece, you have so many guys who, who may not be uh, one of those kinds that uh, that may not really be anything more than a filler. And, you know, at times, like, what are you doing here with these guys? I mean, it's, it's, it's basically pickup baseball where you're, you're filling in the positions. The, the part of the article that I think that, in, in, in his point, what Travis is missing is actually playing the games is important in minor league baseball. You can do all the swing coaches and lab work, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there's a value to some of that. But the reason you see so much bad baseball, I think, is because, and he uses examples like Adam Adovino going and renting a storefront in the Bronx and honing his craft. Nothing wrong with that. That's a big league player, though. Big league player who, had, in a lot of ways, the fundamentals is not where you're at there. Now he's trying to hone his skill to get to a new level. You have to be able to learn how to hit the cutoff man, handle the travel, handle the stadium, handle the failure, handle um, certain situations. You can't simulate every single situation in a lab. Some people don't work well with that. Sometimes there's that instincts that have to take over. There's also learning about how to eat well and, and, and how to handle the, the travel. And minor league baseball throws these guys through a ringer. What they do there and the bus rides, and the nonsense. I mean, it only gets easier, actually, from a travel perspective in the big leagues because even though they complain about day game after night game and Sunday night baseball, and we could talk about that, there's a higher level of performance that they're held to there. They're going to be traveling in much better conditions. They're going to have everything at their access. So it gets better. But you got to go through that baptism by fire, and I think minor league baseball creates that. And I think there's something to be said to be playing the game. So this idea that you could just start putting guys in labs, and I don't think Travis meant that totally, but I think he means that maybe it's time to start taking those players out of game action and working on certain things. Again, I don't really have an issue with that, but not at the expense of too much time on the field and not at the expense of really bonding and growing and learning how to be part of a team. I know that baseball is an individual sport, but you still have to be a, a part of a team. You still have to be able to interact and, and understand your role. That's what chemistry is about. Understanding your role in the context of where you are with that team. And you can't learn that in a lab. Now, from a standpoint of the actual product, no doubt, and you heard that clip from Forbes, the Yes Network Forbes uh, show. That's an old clip from like three years ago. But... Minor League Baseball sells, maybe not in every market, and maybe you could evaluate some of the affiliates in certain parts of the country that are depressed, and, and maybe there isn't a value there, although you probably would kill some of those towns if three or four or 5,000 people are big to those towns. I mean, that's a an economic discussion that you can't just have today in a vacuum, but you really need to look at how this game is going to grow, and if you think that eliminating, eliminating a lot of minor league affiliates, or all of them, just to get... You know, uh, you know, extended spring lab training is the only way to grow players. That's wrong from a player perspective. It's also wrong from a branding perspective. I think what the Mets are doing where they have all their affiliates or they're trying to have as many of their affiliates up and down New York State is huge for branding. Because now you can gr- build and grow a connection within the state. It's not like uh, they're out in Vegas now where people could care less about the New York Mets. They probably could be Dodgers fans. And they happen to have to be there because, you know, you know that whole situation. 
So I, I think what they're doing is great there, and I think there's a value to that. You may not need as many affiliates as they currently have across the game, but I wouldn't cut back too much. And I also think that those guys that you say, well, are filler, yeah, they're never going to make the big leagues, but I also think that they could learn a lot if they're able to afford that opportunity in their life. Where playing professional sports and the, the lessons you learn and the work and the time you put in and the thing and the connections you make could really help you down the road. So it's not even worthless for those guys as, uh, either. So I think this article is thought-provoking. I think there's some things that are progressive ideas that teams should start doing from this article. But the idea, and I don't know if Travis wrote the headline. I don't think he meant it like that. But the idea is, do you need minor league baseball? The answer is yes. I think you need minor league baseball from a development standpoint. And if the game is going to market itself and grow, it's not going to do that with stupid uniforms and corny commercials and all this other nonsense that they try to force feed or they try to, like I told you a couple of weeks ago with the players a weekend, nothing is worse than someone pretending to be something that they're not. And that's what baseball, I think, with their marketing tries to do. And Deadspin doesn't get a lot right these days, but they did do a piece about this article. And the biggest part about that piece that was on the money was affordable family entertainment. It's what makes the Long Island Ducks so popular out here on Long Island. And that's a big part of marketing this brand in the future is getting young people who are on a budget to love the game early on, even if it's not at the highest level of professional play. And that'll lead me to my next point after the break, which is this whole 9-11 thing, which I hate getting into this stuff because I don't like to intersect politics with sports here because I really like this to be about the team and the game. But I think you'll hear a clip from Howie Rose, and I think he's on the money. If you haven't read the article at the New York Post with Mike Vaccaro, you really should because he's on the money. And I think Pete Alonso again showed you during this time of uh, negativity, what could be a lot of negativity why he is who he is, why he's a breath of fresh air for this organization, and why he really should be the next leader on this Mets team if he continues and continues to earn it and he continues to develop and grow. He's just showing a lot of inherent characteristics that uh, you can't teach. Can't teach in a lab somewhere in Port St. Lucie, I can tell you that. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. But as Wayne mentioned, the Mets once again are not allowed to wear their first responders caps during the game. They're allowed to wear them during batting practice and for the pregame ceremonies. And I'm sorry, it is just incomprehensible to me that Major League Baseball cannot see fit to allow the Mets to pay tribute to those who gave their lives and in some cases are still doing so. It's okay for MLB to foist those horrendous players weekend uniforms on us they allowed the Houston Astros to wear Apollo 11 caps commemorating the moon landing 50 years ago. Somebody at a very, very high level in Major League Baseball's hierarchy needs to answer to this. I don't care if it's the commissioner, if it's Joe Torre, if it's somebody else of power. Somebody has got to answer this question. Whose rights are being infringed upon by the Mets wearing first responder caps for one day in game? It's not about copyright. It's not about licensing. We need to know who would be hurt, who would be damaged by the Mets wearing those caps. And all I know is Major League Baseball has stonewalled the Mets every time they have tried to wear those caps during the games to the point where they've stopped asking now. And they did for many years, but finally just gave up. And that is just brutal that Major League Baseball could not see fit to allow the Mets to honor people who to this day are still dying as the result of their heroism. To this day, 18 years later, someone must answer to that. We've mentioned this throughout the season, how Pete Alonso just gets it, how he might be a future captain potentially of this team. Well, if you look around the field today, most of the Mets are wearing cleats, USA cleats, custom-made cleats to commemorate what happened here on 9-11 18 years ago. Pete Alonso is the guy who ordered those cleats for all of his teammates. He wanted to do something to show his respect for the victims and for the memory. So he went around starting in Philadelphia, got all of his teammates cleat sizes and had these custom ordered and custom made.
All right, we're back. You heard Howie Rose and Pete Alonzo on those clips, and I think both are self-explanatory. First, Howie and his point about Major League Baseball, and then just Pete doing some really great work. I mean, to have the self-awareness in an environment today where everybody's looking to create fake brands because you got some marketing guy next to you, or the media that applauds so many phony leaders in this town, so many phony people. What made me laugh the same day that that story came out about Pete Alonso, there was a story, I think it was the New York Post, I could be wrong, about Kevin Durant and how Kevin Durant likes to fight with people on Twitter. And I'm saying to myself, Pete Alonso, Kevin Durant. Hmm. I think I'll let that, both those examples, sit in your uh, your mind and you can, you can think about where I'm going with the kind of people that I think both of those guys are. In the same week that Antonio Brown and all that stuff on TMZ with the phone call and then the allegations, those horrible allegations, I'm just saying to myself, you know, that's the stuff. What Pete's doing is the stuff that should be applauded. Now, it did here locally. I'm not quite sure how much pub it got outside of New York. But, again, I understand baseball not wanting to get to the point where teams start to become microcosms of society and politics and you could have hats and knights and all this stuff for just about any cause out there i do think 9-11 hits another level and i understand it's a tragedy and maybe people want to forget uh, i think there's a lot that don't i think that maybe someday down the road it'll be a holiday that'll be celebrated and remember it's very soon in our history i mean holidays that we celebrate now were history at some point in another time and in this country, and they weren't holidays. They became holidays down the road. So, uh, you know, to me that, uh, you know, that's something for another conversation of the day. But to not be able to, and I think Mets Police on Twitter, leave it to a Twitter account, Mets Police, you can be, I know, aggravating of people and goofy at times. Just have the simplest solution. You have the Nats and the Mets. They could play every year. You could do something to commemorate if you don't want to do the FDNY and if there's something with the NYPD hats that's a problem, you know, create something. I mean, they'll create hats for everything. They'll create those stupid players weekend hats. They'll create hats for obviously the 4th of July and things of that nature. And to really give the Mets a hard time and the buck stops with the commissioner. But if it's Joe Torre, who I've never felt is qualified for the job he has anyway... I mean, Joe Torre's a figurehead. He's, you know, most of his career has been made by being a figurehead in a lot of situations. Um, good player, you know, did some nice things with the Yankees, no doubt. But let's 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 not make Joe Torre out to be more than who he is as an individual and his qualifications for the job he has now. Uh, to me, it just the the two things I take away with is baseball's tone deaf to where they can look like the good guys. And they can embrace the fans in a, in a, like I said earlier, in a natural way. And Pete Alonzo's behavior, which is everything that's good, that, listen, I'd be saying this if it was anybody else. If it was a Yankee, if it was a Marlin, if it was a Nat. Pete has impressed me. I've had my doubts. I said last week during when we had Rustin Dodd on, who did a piece on him on, on The Athletic, what's the catch? Where's the catch going to be? And I haven't seen it yet. And I hope I don't, because I'm waiting for it. But again, he goes, he could have made this about uh, 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 himself. He could have made it an in-your-face moment. He said, no, let me quietly, leading up to it. You didn't even know it was happening until it happened. He didn't publicize it. He got everyone's cleat size. He bought the cleats. They did the little commemorative situation. If, if the media didn't bring it up, I'm not sure how many people would have even known it was there. Because I don't think that... You're going to be looking that closely when there's a play at first. Maybe somebody would have. There's always somebody that has that kind of eye. Uh, but he did it in a way that was not obnoxious, that was tasteful for what the situation was. It made its point. He said his piece, and you moved on. Howie eviscerated in his own way Major League Baseball, and Howie's an institution here in these parts, and I think he could get away with it. Pete, at this point, took a different route, and he did exactly what he should do in that spot, Howie, kudos to him, not uh, sucking up to the MLB suits, did what he's supposed to do. Mike Vaccaro over at the Post, great piece, and he pointed it out where, you know, we're we're honoring Apollo, uh, what is it, Apollo 11, Apollo, whatever it is, Apollo. Uh, forgive me, I just, uh, right now I'm just trying to go extemporaneously here in Houston, but uh, we can't honor, you know, a situation that 
change the landscape of New York, change people's lives forever, and change this country forever because of what the fallout has been. And every time you travel on an airplane, you can remember the fallout of 9-11. So that, that's in your face if you travel a lot every time. And I hate to make this about politics because I don't want to do that here. But this is so simple. And it's so there for baseball to do the right thing, and they don't. And for years, years, baseball never did the right thing. This is the same sport that used to use a coin flip to determine home field. This is the same sport that when they first instituted the wild card, didn't uh, do the standings based on what win-loss record. They flip-flopped who would play who because they had to book hotels. Because if they didn't know hotel locations in advance, they couldn't book them. Really. On the day of Airbnb, that's, I mean, maybe back then they didn't, of course, have it. But even in the 90s, you could be able to handle that. So, but gives you, again, I know that that's apples and oranges. It gives you a context of what you're dealing with with Major League Baseball, the kind of mindset Major League Baseball. And the reason why they struggle sometimes is because they can't see the forest from the trees. Examples here, you have a couple examples of a writer who's more interested about a cottage industry and building a cottage industry of swing coaches and, and doctors and, and freelance people. And this really perpetuates destroying a whole, you know, baseball experience called minor league baseball. On the other hand, you got a league that has an opportunity to make itself look good on really a, a national scale, on a global scale in some cases. And, you know, they want to hide it and they have a, a first-year player who doesn't even have a full year of service time under his belt innocuously do the right thing and make them look like clowns. I mean, that just that just goes to show you what's wrong with the league and sometimes what's wrong with society that, you know, will give more attention to Kevin Durant's Twitter feuds and Antonio Brown's nonsense than, uh, you know, something that really is refreshing. You know, we'll sit around, and when Nick Swisher was here, we'll let him market himself to death uh, with his corny, goofy antics. And we'll, we'll, we'll beat it to death, the media. But Pete Alonzo does something really genuine. And it almost had to be found by everybody. Just goes to show you how where we are today and how frustrating it is. But it's good to see that not everybody's fallen into that trap. But anyway, I'm out of time. I want to thank everybody for joining me here. Of course, uh, you can check out the show all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at MikeSilvaMedia. And you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the road trip. We'll be back with another podcast soon. As long as this team keeps staying in the race, we'll keep plugging away until the last out. Be well, everybody. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.